This is the MDRT Podcast. Many advisors have had clients want to cancel policies or avoid the market in a time of instability. How do you communicate with clients when they're unhappy? And have you ever wished you could change something that happened? During a recent conversation at MDRT, Russ Clausing, Downers Grove, Illinois. Yaakov Bayless, Chicago, Illinois. Ed Burnett, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Discussed client situations that did not turn out as well as they hoped and how they adjusted moving forward. I don't know if it's a mistake or if you would classify it as a mistake, but uh, yeah, there have been several times where I've done work for customers and potential clients and they have elected not to implement my suggestions or if they did implement them they implemented them in a different manner which caused significant financial harm you know to their families i've got several cases where i've had people in for underwriting we have them approved at pick a number a million two million three million dollars of coverage all on a needs-based analysis it's not just a number we were picking out of the blue and I had one in particular, the, the wife's looking up at the husband saying, oh, we don't need this. We don't need this coverage. And the client, after six months of meetings, reviews, this is very mathematically sound. This is what you told me you want to have happen. This is the amount of capital you need to accomplish your objectives if you're not here. And uh, he says, well, just well, what am I approved for? And I said, the full amount is half a million. would be just fine. And at that point, what do you, you know, you take the order and a half a million is better than what they had. And, you know, he passed away six weeks after the policy was issued. So you deliver the check. You work with the family as best you can. I'm thankful I had everything documented in my file. There are still clients. The family is clients. You have a different... You know, but yeah, what we do for people with the stroke of a pen is pretty dramatic. And until you've gone through that, you really don't understand that as an agent. You almost have to kind of at least be acknowledge or be aware of that. But until it actually happens, it, uh, you know, I've had people drop coverage, pass away shortly. I had a business guy. We had $20 million of coverage in underwriting. Had the meeting with the brothers. One of the brothers says, you know, brother, we got each other's back. We started this from scratch. We don't need the insurance if anything happens to me. Of course, he was the guy that was at the most morbidity risk, right? And he was the heavier of the guys. You know, I know you got my family's back, blah, blah, blah. We don't. And two years later, he passed away. Now you're selling chunks of the business in a really rough economic time and uh, having to liquidate a business when you're not getting a dollar twenty per dollar, you're getting sixty cents on the dollar to so that you have capital to buy your brother's widow out of your business. So we're in a noble profession. And unfortunately sometimes you have to see those kinds of things play out before you're fully aware of what you can do for people as an agent. Do you do anything differently now as a result? Yeah, I mean I document things like crazy. I mean, I, I document to the point where, hey, I called, I left a message, right? That goes right into my client online, my client CRM. Called Bob, underwriting's approved, left a message. Called Bob, 10 days later, called Bob, left a message. He has not responded. Called Bob, we're going to meet on, you know, it's in the file. I, I don't ever want to be questioned on whether or not I did my job. And you're dealing with people, so they don't always either fully understand or want to understand what they're saying no to or saying yes to. Right? You can't control that. But you just, I think, for their 
benefit as well as yours. You need to document the process and, and protect both parties that way. I had a young client who part of a family on the south side of Chicago, bad neighborhood, introduced me to his family. He was the one person who was more successful in the family. He was teaching. He got a job as a teacher. Seemed to do well. And I remember getting a nice life insurance policy for him. Unfortunately, he did let it go. Met up with him again at a later date and talked to him again about life insurance, that we should have it. And he was like, just didn't want to do it at the time. And he was like, let's talk about some investments. And I started talking to him. He was like, well, this world, it's not going well. There's not much left. And then he just didn't do anything that day. And then, unfortunately, a couple of months later, I learned that he was shot and killed in his car. And there was no benefits that I could have paid. And I worked with him. He was a client of mine who had like a million-dollar plan. And Southside family, not well off at all, struggling. And the one person in the family who was doing well could have helped his family out dramatically. Instead, there, there was nothing, and the family is just sad. So... Lesson learned, doesn't matter how young you are, there is violence. I remember that day when I went home was the day that I had the courage to tell my wife that she needs a life insurance policy. You know, it's one thing to say you need it and all. As an advisor, you know it. At the same time, writing a policy where you're the beneficiary directly, the primary beneficiary, it's still something that causes a little shaking inside to bring it up because you are the one directly that's going to benefit. It's inside. When that happened, that was the day that, that, that night, we wrote that couple life plans. Because again, we have two kids. She's my whole support for my business. Most of our income, there'd be a huge head, and who's going to take care of the family? So that was the day it was done. So that was a dramatic turn at that point. Yeah, with life insurance, I like to ask people the question, what would happen if you were taken out of the picture? whether you're asking your wife or one of your clients. And again, when you ask somebody a question, they have to clear their minds and actually think and stop whatever daydreaming they were doing. What would happen if you were taken out of the picture and replace their income? You know, my youngest is eight. If I was taken out of the picture, well, the money that they count on every month to do the things that they do would not be there unless I could replace it with life insurance. My wife is not the breadwinner. She works hard, just doesn't get a paycheck. So if she was taken out of the picture, my kids are still too young to take care of themselves and I need to go to the J-O-B. So we would need to have some insurance on my spouse in my instance and quite a lot of insurance on me. So that's the question I like to ask people, what would happen if you were taken out of the picture? So last fall, I had an instance where I had a client that by, by way of email, really freaked out about the market performance that we all experienced last fall. And in her email, she took a lot. You've got the sender and the receiving message, right? The way I received her message was she was really swinging the bat and wanted to let me know that she thinks that I don't think she's that important of a client, that I'm not watching her money and maybe I'm too small of an account, yada, yada, yada. She used the word Ponzi. And I'd went through this once in the past and I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm none of those things. Allow me a moment to rebut. <laughs> and so I crafted an email and proofed it and 
sent it and it went back and forth a little bit. And then after a day, that's when I first brought this to the attention of my mentor, who's obviously my OSJ in the building as well. And that was one of the mistakes that I made is that I received an email that was pretty bitey and pretty, I guess, accusatory. I should not have replied right away from a compliance perspective. So there was nothing that was determined that I said that was wrong. But at the same time, I think my natural reaction was, wait a minute, I know who I am. I'm an Eagle Scout for crying out loud. (laughs) I'm ethical. I know who I am in my being. So this person, I was feeling like she was blaming me when the reality is, is I didn't appropriately manage her expectations. (laughs) That was my shortcoming. So it wasn't that I should not have taken offense to her emails. I should have done the work ahead of time. And in the absence of that, just picked up the phone and said, hey, let's, I read your email. Let's have a discussion. Let's remedy the circumstance. And at the end of the day, she's still a client. As the markets bounced back this spring, we repositioned her portfolio towards a little more concern. It was never aggressive, but it was more aggressive than she likes to sleep with. So it is, I mean, so much of our communication now is, is I don't want to call it a knee jerk, but it is so easy for somebody to just bang out a text or a quick email. They don't have to think about it. They don't think about the repercussions to you for sending the email because, and there's no ability to detect or determine tone in an email. So one of the things I've found over the years, because we're relying more and more on communicating in that manner, because there's a lot of great things about email as far as being able to document what the conversation or what was going on, is just if there's an email and you're reading it and you're kind of like, is that, you know, is that a complaint or is that just another kind of a question or maybe she phrased that question a little I just pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, got your email. I understand you're not entirely thrilled with how the market performed in the fourth quarter. I want you to be aware that I am watching the account, but sounds like we should get together and either review or schedule a call to go through it. So it's a blessing and a curse email, you know. Yeah, and the outcome ended up being that our broker dealer felt that this, this, this didn't quite reach the level of a customer complaint, but there was some other report that she felt she needed to file with FINRA as kind of a an FYI. I didn't really understand what the... So there was another level that wasn't quite to the complaint level. But the dialogue that I had had with the client, obviously, like you said, is documenting everything. And if it's in an email, you can document everything. But even to the standpoint now that the recommendation moving forward is that I have quarterly reviews with this particular client. Now, the last two quarters, the day after the quarterly statement comes out, I'll send an email. So-and-so, it's time for our quarterly review. And the last two quarters, I've been able to say, I think you'll be pleased. Things are going well, but let's talk about And I try to bring it back to the needs focused instead of what the assets are. What do you need? Since the markets have come back and your accounts have surged back, this would be a great time if you need an extra chunk of cash for spending or trips or toys or whatever it is that you have been waiting for. So I'm trying to give her that wisdom, which should be selling when it's high and buying when it's low. Well, you're never buying when you're retired. So 
you have to be able to manage that. So it's quarterly. Now, I have not had a meeting with her, but I'm documenting that I'm attempting to schedule these meetings. And I'm even conjecturing a little bit about what kind of advice I can offer based on what she needs, but in our system, in our CRM system as well. So it's, I think it's important because sooner or later, we may face litigation on any particular client case. And if you're having to tell a story after the fact that happened however many years ago, you're not going to remember it unless you wrote it down then. I think that I can hear a lot more in a person's voice and how they talk. I'm very cautious about email because... At the same time, everything's there in writing. It can never be taken back in any way. Whereas if it's a phone conversation, the person can say they're sorry, they didn't mean it this way. And as soon as we respond in an email, it could escalate and get worse. So I would try to avoid responding in an email to anything. I've learned in cases where things didn't go well with that. That's the end of this month's episode. If you'd like to subscribe, you can find us on SoundCloud and Spotify at MDRT Podcast. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.